Hey friends, we're so glad that you've joined us here today. My name's Kevin and I'm one of the pastors here at Friends Church in Orange. And whether you're watching this message online or listening to it in your car or on a run or wherever you are today, it's our hope that the words that are shared, that the message of God that is shared in this message will give you hope, life, and encouragement as you seek to live faithfully for Jesus in the midst of your world. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so by going to our website. We'd love to meet you, we'd love to connect with you, and we'd love to serve you in any way we can. And free stuff and smoothies, it's the best day ever, right? So, so happy. How have you guys? What do you think about the weather these days? And I like it's kind of like summer in Florida all of a sudden. It's like bizarre what's happening. And also bizarre is yesterday I was home and I walked downstairs and Cozy, my youngest daughter, and Holiday were just binging Gilmore Girls, just having a great time. And they're like, this is so perfect because it's raining outside and we just get to stay home and watch TV. And my wife, Holiday, says, Can I turn the fire on? And I'm like, it's like 90 degrees outside. Like, what are you doing? She's like, I know, but it just matches the rain so well. And I go, well, then open the doors, let the heat and humidity in, and maybe you won't want the fire so much. It was crazy. Um, but it's nuts what's going on. I'm so glad that you guys are here. Uh, it's always an honor. I know lots of you are part of our church family. Uh, some of you are new faces that I get to see and meet today. And either way, we always consider it an honor and a privilege that you would choose to come uh, and be with us and gather with us and remember who God is and respond to him together. So I love that you're here today. Um, as we're talking about home, one of the things I was thinking about this week, have I told you about my dad, about my father? And I don't mean the worst of what I'm experiencing with my dad right now. He's going through dementia. He's been declining for years. I mean, have I told you about the best of who my dad is? It's like, let me tell you about my father. Let me tell you who he is. My father was a relational monster. He loved people. It's one of the things I remember about him from the time I was a kid. He taught me, he showed me what it was like to love people well, to serve people well, to value them. He loved and showed me what it was like to be part of team, that life was better together and with people than doing it by yourself. He taught me about hard work and about sacrifice and about you work hard so that you can play hard. And he had deep convictions, which is just a nice way of saying he was really stubborn. You know what I mean? So if any, any stubbornness, just I have deep convictions. Say that. It sounds so much better. But if I were to ask you to tell me about your dad, what would you say? What sort of sentences start stirring in your mind or, or words or phrases come into your brain? Well, how would you describe him? And it's interesting just watching what happens on your faces, and in your posture, as I ask that question, for some of you, it's like me, you start to smile and you think and you, you nod and you think, oh yeah, and you're thrilled to be able to talk about your dad. For some of you, I can actually feel the pain that it creates. For some of you, you had difficult, challenging relationships with your dad. For some of you, maybe it feels like it's tearing open a wound that had just started to heal or get ripped open every day. For some of you, Maybe there's just nothing there. Maybe you have no thoughts or memories, and even that's painful because you didn't have a dad. You didn't have somebody who was around. Maybe for some of you, the pain is a sense of loss. Maybe you've lost your dad like my wife, and so it just stirs, just some pain. And, but here's what's interesting about that. Regardless, as we talk about coming home, 
and what it means to be part of home. Studies show the importance of the role of a father in families and how defining it is to what a home feels like. You can look across the board that kids that grow up with a dad who's loving and healthy and present and active and part of their life, they they tend to do better, both academically in school with their grades, socially with friends and with one another. They tend to participate more actively in after-school activities, whether it's athletics or clubs or whatever that looks like. They tend to move through life uh, with a greater sense of emotional well-being and how they engage the world around them and one another. There's a steadiness to them. You could just look and see the importance of fatherhood. And so the question becomes then, what do we do maybe with our story? What do we do with, even if you had a fantastic dad who was present and available like me, there's still some places of brokenness that exist. There were some very painful chapters that need to be healed in my relationship with my father. For some of you, it's more than chapters, it's volumes, it's books of what does that look like. So how do we hold on to the best and how do we let go and find the kind of healing we need to really be able to understand what home looks like? And so that's why I'm so glad that you guys are here today because all of us walk forward in this great adventure of what it looks like to come home and be part of a family. And last week, if you were here, when Jonathan was talking, he essentially came back to the quote that all of us understand, that home is where your heart is. And today, what we're going to see clearly is it's where your heart is, but also that all of us kind of live with a heart condition that needs to be healed. And we're also going to understand the role and importance of a father. Today, I want to introduce you to my father, my heavenly father, the way I view God as a father, and why. I'll believe that you're gonna get a great picture of why I wanna introduce you to him, not just because he's my dad, but because I know more than anything, he wants to be your dad. And I know that he and he alone can actually heal and bring a sense of wholeness to the brokenness that exists in this world. I know that he and he alone can actually make you feel at home. He will allow you to live the fullest life possible, just like what we get in little glimpses here in this world with our real dads. So I wanna invite you guys to just go on this adventure with me and meet my dad. If you would, grab your Bibles if you brought them and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at a story there Jesus was telling. If you don't have your Bibles, we always have Bibles for you. We would love for you to have a Bible. You can take it. Just steal it. It's wonderful. I want you to take a Bible if you don't have a Bible. Because it's really important. I want you to underline and circle and remember the things that God says to you. Not just today, but every single day. So Luke chapter 15, we got to remember that this is a conversation Jesus is having as he's teaching the people. And remember, Jesus would teach. He would just start teaching out there. And so his disciples would always be there. And then just common people would come and they'd listen. And this is where you start to see, like the the Bible says, notorious sinners, the worst of the worst, were actually coming and getting close to Jesus and not just listening to his teaching. He was developing relationships with them. Like he was actually having meals with them. At that time, that was powerful. It was everything you could do to demonstrate relationship. And so, as would often happen, the religious people of the day, called the Pharisees in the Bible, they weren't happy. They weren't happy with this idea 
of just common people, everyday sinners getting close to Jesus. And so Jesus tells three stories in Luke 15, but all of them have the same purpose. And it's to illustrate the heart of the Father. That's what Jesus is putting on display here. So we're going to look at Luke 15. We're going to start down in verse 11, the third story. And it says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine then swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So it's hard to translate the pain and the tension that would have swept into the hearts and lives of the listeners of the people of this story in the first century. But I'm gonna do my best and let me try. The first thing that we have to see is this younger son has a heart condition and it's called life my way. That's the heart condition that's in this younger son. And you can see it, he goes, I'm done with this. I'm done with the family, I'm done with you, I'm done with this work, I'm done. I wanna do life on my own terms. I want to make my own decisions. I want to go where I want to go. I want to do whatever I want to do. I want to respond and react to whatever feelings I have. I want to do life on my terms. And so that's what he says. And the way he says that, of course, is I want the share of of the estate now. I want the share of my estate now. And it's interesting, he doesn't use the word inheritance there. Because they use a different word. If he just said inheritance, an inheritance actually came with leadership and responsibility for the family and the community that you were in. An inheritance would have meant that he would have had to stay and take all of that on over time. But he doesn't use that word. He says, I just want the money. Give me the money. Show me the money, dad. Like, where is it? And it's interesting, he says, before you die, right? He's essentially saying, I wish you were dead. But since you're not, can you just give me my money now? So just start to think about what it might be like for you to say that to your dad. Think about, for those of you that are parents, someday, maybe your cute little kids are amazing, right? They grow up and say, I wish you were dead. Can you just give me what's coming to me? Like the pain and the betrayal that must be unfolding in the heart of this father and what it must have took for that younger son to just say what? I wanna do life my way. I'm done doing it your way. So give me what's coming to mind. And it would have been offensive, not just to the dad. Think about the family, the other siblings, the mom, and not just the family, the community. Remember, this is a shame and honor-based culture. They understood what it was like to live with and for one another differently. Everybody would have been stunned and offended because basically this, this younger son is rejecting all of them. So what does he do? He liquidates his assets, and it's not like he said, hey, I want to do this because I found a great investment. I'm going to go and triple our money. I'm going to come back. It's going to be amazing. No, what does he do? He just goes and throws his life away. He says, I want to act on every indulgence and every feeling that I have whenever I want to. I'm going to do life my way. Wild living, partying, drinking, drugs, prostitution, anything you could possibly think or imagine that you've done or you've read about or you've heard about, that, that's what he did. 
He went and lived it all out. And what happens? He ends up with nothing. He ends up with nothing. We don't know if it took him days. How successful was he at partying and throwing his life away? We don't know. We don't know if it was days or weeks or months. But we know that he got to the end of himself. And he got to the end of his resources. And he ends up with nothing. And so he's actually feeding pigs. And for those of us that understand, for a Jewish boy, you weren't even supposed to get close to pigs. And yet that's where he finds himself, in that place of desperation. And it gets worse. Because what else did he start to experience? How painful the world is. Because it's not just all the choices he made to get to the end of himself. It says a famine swept over the whole earth. All of a sudden, the pain and the disorientation and the uncertainty and everything we were just talking about earlier this morning swept through his life too. And what does it say? No one gave him anything. So he started to experience the loneliness and the isolation and the shame and the guilt, and even the lack of kindness and compassion that exists in the world around him. He took all of that on. And see, here's what's interesting, one of the things we see in this younger son. You see, the world promises everything, and the world takes everything. And so you end up with nothing. And we understand that. Like I said, many of us have seen it, lived out. Many of us have had friends or family members that just chased their own choices, their own agenda, their own emotions. Many of us do the same thing. And where does it get us? Nothing. Just prisons of shame and guilt and fear and isolation and embarrassment. You see, we understand this younger son. But it's interesting because he makes a choice. He takes a calculated risk. We see in verse 17, it says, he finally came to his senses. And he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants, they have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to go home to my father. And I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of even being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. It's interesting, right? He uses the term hired servant. And all of a sudden, it's like, I don't need you to take me back as your son. I could never anticipate that. He doesn't even say, I'm willing to be a slave because you see slaves in that day, they weren't paid anything. He specifically wanted to be a hired servant. Why? Because he understood culture in that day. And what he was trying to do was buy and earn his way back into relationship with his father and with his family and with the community. Because he knew that if he was walking back into this community and into this family and into those friends, they, he was going to experience what was called a cutting off ceremony. And essentially, he could have been stoned to death, not just by his father or family, but even the community because he abandoned them and he stole from them and he took from them. And so he knew he was walking back into that, and the only way legally then was to actually pay back everything he took. 
And so he couldn't be a slave because he needed to earn money, but he knew he couldn't ever be a son again because of what he'd done by doing life on his own. And so he said, I just want to be a hired servant. I'm willing to be paid and learn a trade. I want to earn back who I am and right standing with you. You see, he sees his father not as a dad, but as a boss. And he's assuming that's the way his father is going to look at him. And we still do this today too, don't we? Oftentimes, don't we see God more as a boss than a dad? Somebody we're working for. How'd I do today, God? Do I get a raise? Do I get more blessing? Are you going to take care of me? What do I have to do to earn my way back into relationship with you? How many times do I need to show up at church? Should I jump in a life group or should I go to Alpha? Or do I need to go serve at the youth centers of Orange? How, how much should I give today? How am I doing, God? We start to see him as a boss and not a father. And we all go down this path. I, I can be like the younger son. I'm great at being the younger son. I am a wonderful recovering Pharisee. The view of God that I had was that he was judgmental and overbearing, and that I had to perform for him in order to be loved. And that's easy for me to default into that space where he's overly pleased with me when I'm doing things well and right, and he hates me and holds me at a distance when I screw things up. See, this younger son, he had a heart condition. He wanted life on his own. It got him nowhere. But even when he comes back to God... He's assuming he's going to see him like a hired hand. But it's interesting because while we can see ourselves in the younger son, we have to remember the story isn't about the son. Remember the story that Jesus is trying to illustrate is the heart of the father. And so we begin to see this in verse 20. It says, so he, the younger son, he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. We begin to see the heart of the father that Jesus is putting on display as he tells this story. And it's interesting because how would the dad see his son coming? Right? So we got to remember, it's easy to think about today. It's like we can't even see down the street. There's so many buildings and trees and homes and businesses. There's always so much just around us. So we're like, of course he couldn't see him. How did he see him coming? Well, think about those first century villages just in your mind, how you imagine it. That's what it looks like. Small village, compact, everything together. There'd be a main road that runs through it that would have gone out and over the hills and whatever. And the father, it says the long way off, it says he was looking and he saw him way outside the city wall as he was walking over. He would have had to look and see. So how in the world could he see him a long way off? He was looking for him. He was waiting for him. And he had to spot him. And then he did what? He runs to him. He runs out. Now the question you should be asking is why? Why would the father do that? He was doing that to protect him. Because remember, the son is walking back in and anyone in the family or their community could have walked him into this cutting off ceremony and permanently held him at a distance and even stoned him to death. And the father's saying, no, I'm not gonna let you do that to my son. And so he runs to him. And before what? Isn't it interesting? Before the son says a word, the father's embracing him and hugging him and loving him. He's kissing him. He's welcoming him back. 
The son hasn't said anything yet, and he's just expressing this love and compassion and action, not just by running, but then his actions when he gets there. And you can imagine it would be overwhelming for that younger son. But it's interesting because the, the son finally starts to speak, and the father doesn't even let him get the sentences out. He starts his speech. Father, I'm so sorry. I took everything. I ran away. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. And you could just hear the dad go, no, 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 no. And he starts saying, we got to throw a party. Get the robe. And he puts a robe on his son, which would have signified the family. Get the ring. Put this ring back on your finger. You're my son. I don't want you to forget who you are and the way I see you and the way I want our family to see you and the way I want the world to see you. Because then he says, kill the fattened calf, which would have fed over 200 people. So he's essentially inviting the entire community to come and do what? Reinstate his son as part of the family. Not a hired servant and not a slave and not a cutting off ceremony, but this is my son who I love. This is the heart of the father that Jesus is putting on display and communicating this public display of reconciliation. This is consistent with who God is and the way he's portrayed all through the Bible. Even his own description, I'm rich in love for my people. I'm so slow and patient to get angry. I'm merciful and I'm kind and I'm just and I'm forgiving and I love you. It's consistent in the way we see God interact with his people and mostly it's consistent with how he shows up in the life of Jesus. Because God knew that we were all like the younger son and would want to do life our way. God knew that we would take this same approach and think we could earn our way back into relationship with him. We could be good enough if we try really hard, then maybe, and he's like, you can can never do that. It's impossible. So he sends Jesus to take on all of that brokenness and all of the shame and all of the bad choices and all of the partying and all the wild life that we do. He says, Jesus will pay that price and he welcomes us back. With love and with grace and with kindness, he says, you're not my hired hands, you're my sons and my daughters. Don't settle for a relationship with God as a boss. He's desperate for you to experience him as a dad. And that is what Jesus is trying to communicate. But remember, it's not just the younger son. There's an older son in this story. And what's interesting is we see the same heart reflected in the older son, but we also see the same heart in the father to the older son. Verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard the music, and he heard the dancing and the party, and he asked one of the servants, What's going on? Your brother is back, he was told. Your father has killed the fattened calf. So we're celebrating because of his safe return. So the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, I love that, this son of yours comes back after squandering your money and prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. You see, the older son has a heart condition too, and it's the same one as the younger son. He wants life his way. He wants the circumstances to play out the way he decides. I know how this should go down. I've done it right, 
I stayed. I've been working hard. I've been taking care of everything. Don't you see? And this guy, he, this is what needs to happen right now. He should be getting cut off. If we're not going to stone him, he should at least have to work for what he's done. He should have to earn his way back into this family. He should have to earn his way back into being my brother. He should have to earn his way into receiving your love and your grace and your forgiveness. He should earn it. And we're all like the older brother too, aren't we? Well, when you clean up a little bit, when you start making better choices with your life, when you start thinking differently and talking differently and dressing differently and acting differently, when you show up enough times or you do enough, well then maybe, maybe we'll give you a shot. We live with the same spirit as the older son of jealousy or entitlement or selfishness and comparison. And it's so fascinating because this older son, when the father divides his estate at the beginning of the passage, he dispenses it all to both of them, not just the younger son. And the older son in that day would have received over twice as much as the younger son. He's living in the fullness of his father's blessing and everything. And yet he still doesn't see himself as a son or his father as a dad. He still sees himself as a hired servant and his father as a boss. You see, he's got the same heart condition as the younger son. He's trying to earn everything he's got instead of just receive it and walk in it. And he lives just like we can with these same judgmental expectations of others. And who they need to become in order to be part of the family or to be welcomed by a loving father. If you drop that habit, if you lose that addiction, welcome home. We want people to earn it and fight for it. But that's not the heart of the father. If you pay the price, well then you're welcome. And we forget that Jesus paid the price for all of us, the younger sons, the older sons, and every single one of us in this room. The father didn't ask either one of them to pay any price. The father took on the role to protect and to provide, to extend compassion and grace, to go and meet both of them. Look at what it says. It says his father came out and begged the older son. The father left the party. It would have been unthinkable at that time to leave the party to go to a son that was rejecting you and leaving you just like the younger one. And then in verse 31, his father said, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. Just reinforcing the idea, we're in relationship, we're family. I've already given you everything. Let's just enjoy the relationship and walk this out together. It's all yours anyway. You're missing the heart of the father. He pursues, he protects, he extends compassion and grace. And here's what's interesting. We really don't know the response of either son. 
to the Father. I think we tend to fill in a lot of white space and just assume that the younger son stayed and he stayed engaged. He stayed at the party. He received the lavish love of the father. I think we wonder, but hope that the older son finally found his way to walk in that same lavish love and compassion and grace that the dad extended him and he joined the party and found a way to reconcile. But we don't know and that's what's beautiful. Is, is the father, it's the heart of the father for every single one of us and what? We get to decide because he doesn't make anyone. He doesn't force his love or his grace on anyone. But it's interesting, we can imagine what it must have been like for those two sons. And just imagine, if you would, for me, let's just say that they stayed and found their way back to understand their dad as a father and not a boss, their role as a son, as part of the family, and not as a hired servant. Could you imagine if you would run into them five years or maybe 10 years later and ask them the same question that we started with and you just said, hey, tell me about your dad. What they would say? (laughs) The younger son, (laughs) oh, I bet he'd just break out in tears and go tell you about my dad. Ah, what could I say? I remember I wanted life on my own terms. I remember I did everything I could to throw my life away. I remember the choices I made, the embarrassment that I put on myself and my family. I remember the prison of shame and guilt and fear that I was living. I remember that there was no one who would help me. And finally, and just in sheer desperation, even thinking, terrified of what might happen, I started to walk back home. And my dad, he ran to me. My dad, he met me. My dad, he had a robe and he walked me through people that were sneering at me and pointing at me and angry with me. And he said, no, this is my son. And we threw the greatest party. And I began to understand what compassion and kindness and forgiveness and grace look like because of my father. And the older son, I bet he'd be there too. And they'd look at each other and laugh and say, ah, my dad, I could never understand why he welcomed him. I didn't even want him to be part of the family again. But my dad did the same thing for me. He came to me and he pursued me and he welcomed me and he gave me compassion and wisdom and grace. And I realized that his love had always been there. And I realized that I was a son and part of a family and I was missing out on some of the most beautiful aspects of what that meant in life. Could you imagine? I can imagine it because I've experienced it. That's why it makes me emotional. Because I'm the younger son and I'm the older son. And I know and I can tell you stories about how God pursued me And he met me with his grace and his compassion and his kindness. And he started and continues to just strip and peel away the expectations of who I have for him as a boss and for me to be a hired servant. He says, no, 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 you're my son. You're my son. 
And I know, I know that today and just the fact that you're here is his way of running to you. I know that today is just an expression of him saying, don't you see how much I love you? Would you let me be your father? Would you come home? If you would, just close your eyes. Let me pray over you. So Father, today, we remember your goodness and your faithfulness. We remember your love which we could never fully even comprehend in this lifetime. And today, God, we are a room full of younger sons and older sons. Some of us sit in just the pain of some of the choices we've made, afraid of what you might think or even what others might think. And I believe that today is just an invitation to come home and experience your grace and your love and your compassion and your kindness. For some of us, God, we, we're like the older son. We live in sort of a judgmental expectation of who qualifies and who doesn't what it looks like to come to you to receive your love and your grace, choose to be in relationship with you through trusting and believing in Jesus. But for all of us, I believe that there's a next step of faith that you want us to experience. So I pray as we continue to listen for you and to respond to you, God, that you would give us the humility and the courage to choose to come home and, and see you as a father. I want to invite you guys just to continue to sit in a, in a posture of worship as, as angel just blesses you with the heart of the father. <laughs>